This is To Be Continued, the Coming Out Saga podcast, and I'm Amber Birch. At the moment, I use she, they pronouns, though that could change at any time, and I am here to normalize that for myself and anyone else. I came out first as pansexual and now as queer at the age of 40 after an eight-year marriage. This podcast is my attempt to sift through the many layers that are part of the after of coming out. I hope in my stories and the questions I'm sitting with, you'll ultimately see glimpses of your own story and space to be with it all. This podcast is an exploration of personal identity. I'm sure there will be times I use terms or language that don't feel right for you. And the language I use will likely continue shifting and evolving as I also learn, change, and grow in my identity. This is part of the process I'm sharing here. So I ask that you listen with an open heart, an open mind, and I welcome respectful engagement and polite feedback at any time. If not with myself directly, then I hope you will bring your thoughts to your own community and find meaningful dialogue within yourself and the relationships in your daily life. I'm glad you're here. All right, welcome back. Last week was such a treat with our guest, Camille Greck, my sweetheart and... I hope that if you did tune into that episode that you really just savored and sat with a a lot of the gems that Camille offered from their own transition journey and different roles that they embody uh, in this world and questions that they had to ponder and offer for us to think about. So I know that it was, it's always a treat to hear uh, Camille share. So today I want to talk about disclaimers. (laughs) Disclaimers have been on my mind heavily since this last episode. Um, And if you've been following my podcast from the beginning, you likely have noticed my complicated relationship with offering disclaimers. My, you might have even noticed if you didn't fast forward through <laughs> the, the, the new disclaimer that I made for the pod. Um, I, I basically, I took a lot of that from a podcast that I love and someone that I highly respect um, as just a a queer role model, uh, Cameron Esposito, and uh, their podcast, Query. Um, I, uh, I, I made it kind of my own, but essentially, like, giving credit to Cameron, I, I really appreciate the, the way that Cameron opens up conversation and also just um, unapologetically and very simply um, states uh, just what you can expect. And so, you know, again, if you've been following from the get the, from the beginning, 
you know, my first disclaimer for the pod was somewhere between two and three minutes long. And it was basically a, a laundry list of things I wanted to acknowledge up front that could potentially trigger, upset, or offend people. And certainly as a member of a very new to me community still, I walked in on just tiptoes with a lot of reverence and a lot of trepidation, to be honest. Um, A lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of feeling like I don't know what I can say that's going to be okay. (laughs) So I need to make sure that I don't mess up, which is ridiculous because we're all going to mess up. But also, you know, without any sense of confidence in my right to take up my own space in conversation, um, it on queer experience, because it was so new to me, and it still is. And, you know, it matters a great, great deal to me to engage in conversation in a way that is teachable and humble and open-hearted. But still, I, I felt if I could cover my tracks with disclaimers and declare them earnestly enough, uh, my chances of being received and taken seriously and also not being misunderstood or judged were just higher. But, you know, I've always operated in disclaimers. And I, it's not something that I was like so fully aware of until really this last year or less I, I I was aware of of offering like apologies and being very careful around what I said but I, I just didn't realize how much of that was just kind of offering disclaimers wherever I I went and I I think that there's probably a lot of people that can relate to that people that identify with being kind of more people pleasers. <laughs> um, and I, I'm so far away from being the people pleaser that I, I grew up as right? a recovering people pleaser. Um, but a lot of that is part of my religious programming, I think. And also my conditioning, heavy conditioning as someone born into a female body of female identity that was given to me and I so in that not just in my community but it just in the um, western culture at least I was taught to question my motives to question my own authority to let others speak for me and to apologize in advance for everything. And to apologize profusely, even if I didn't need to. So again, it's it's something I've been aware of for a long, long time. But it, the awareness sinks in in layers. And depro- deprogramming this is a lot of fucking work. Am I right? <laughs> I can just imagine people nodding out there who know exactly what this kind of work entails. So what I did, instead of taking a necessary disclaimers out of my kind of MO, 
I, I learned to speak about them just candidly. Okay, um, I'll joke about them. And the thought was maybe as long as I let people know I'm aware of this tick <laughs> in myself that I'm working on, maybe that's sufficient. Maybe it's even giving other people per- permission to struggle with this too. Maybe it's even endearing. <laughs> like, um, so I, I shortened my disclaimer here on the pod, and I also found myself slipping extra ones into episodes. <laughs> In the last episode, I recorded an intro that was you know, pretty much a disclaimer on the sound quality might not be great. And there's parts where it cuts out, blah, blah, blah. Things that people don't really care about for the most part. Um, but it was really just a front for making a little self-conscious dig at myself. I compared myself to my guest who, um, is, you know, a gifted therapist whose job literally involves the ability to articulate and reflect deeper, deep information on the fly. (laughs) And I'm not saying that it just comes easily to him, but uh, surely it's something he's like worked at and cultivated, but also just really good at it. Whereas I'm far more comfortable in writing than I am in speaking so I, I talked about how cringeworthy it is to hear my own voice in conversation with somebody who I see as more, you know, quote unquote, well-spoken than me. I compared myself even to a valley girl. <laughs> it was not very nice, if I'm being honest. And that's when my best friend came to the rescue. She lovingly called me out after listening to the episode and she's so good at this because she she does it not out of place of calling me out, right? It's not like, I need to call you out on this. It's like, she's so committed and loyal to me that if she hears me harming me, <laughs> she comes to my defense, <laughs> to myself. You know, do you have a friend like that? I hope you do. It's amazing. And she just doesn't, she doesn't allow a lot of things to slide, which I so appreciate. So she called me out, just tired of hearing me disclaim myself. And frankly, you know, I'm tired of it too. So I decided to unpublish the episode, delete the disclaimer, and then republish it. And... I promised that this would be the beginning of a new agreement with myself. That I'm going to double down on my commitment to stop disclaiming myself. I'm going to set firmer boundaries with how I speak about myself publicly starting here on this podcast. And I know this will be a work in progress, but instead of simply stating it and couching it in humor, this time I'm really going to own it.
I think the place to start for me in talking about disclaiming myself before I get on to a bigger reclamation or claiming of myself that I want to share further on in this episode, I want to start with something that I've been thinking about a lot, and that is when do disclaimers actually serve and when do they not? I mean, it's not something I can answer fully for anyone other than myself. And I'm pretty sure I don't fully have an answer for this for myself yet. But here's what I think I'm, I'm realizing and I'm, I'm sinking into lately. I have a tendency <laughs> to first of all, conflate disclaimers and trigger warnings. And while I think there can be a lot of overlap, I think there is also a point where the two diverge and they exist as separate entities. And I'm still exploring, you know, for myself where that line is. Because I think trigger warnings are really an important part of my responsibility as someone who is creating and putting potentially sensitive content content like out into the world and I want to do so with integrity um, and safety for people as best as I can to build that safety and um, and you know in my past podcast disclaimer recordings the longer ones my Intention was to try to cover my bases, to cover the bases. And that comes from a good place. I really don't want anyone caught unaware in something that could have been prevented had they known up front a little bit what to expect. But I do struggle with where does this list end? I mean, there are literally so many things that could be triggers for any one of us. And to what extent is, our, is it our responsibility to anticipate these for others? Um, how could we possibly, <laughs> to be honest? I mean, I think that there are ones that are agreed upon that are more universal, like talking about sexual assault, talking about abuse talking about suicide, talking about depression, like there are things that, you know, make sense that, that we can just lay forth as trigger warnings, but then there are other things that just tend to get a little more gray. Um, and I think that where, where I question too is like, when I see others laying blame for triggers Because I think that while it is important to give trigger warnings, I think that it's nobody's fault what our triggers are. Um, And it is also, to some degree, our, our responsibility to care for ourselves with those triggers. And sometimes to hold people accountable for ways that they could have handled things. Um, with with more responsibility and integrity, but also we are responsible for caring for ourselves around our triggers. So how do we hold that responsibility for ourselves and others? 
And to what extent do I let go and trust others to to know what is best for them and to step away and care for their nervous systems around potential triggers instead of trying to manage that because I can't. And I have to let go and accept that not everybody has the resources to care for themselves like that, but I also can't fix that. (laughs) Um, But I just don't want to cause anyone harm, so I take it very seriously. And I'm certain too seriously. (laughs) But I think part of my problem comes back to this tendency, this old, old tendency to take on this like lion's share of responsibility for the emotional well-being of others. It's yet another piece of deprogramming and healing I have been working on for years. But it goes so much deeper, doesn't it? I mean, somewhere in my childhood, with a very religious upbringing, I digested this toxic belief that I am responsible for other people's discomfort. That if someone is upset with me, I must have done something wrong. And it's my job to make amends. It's my job to makes somebody feel better. So learning to distinguish between actual harm I've caused someone and what their own responsibility to manage their emotions has been kind of a mind fuck, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, it causes, it has caused and causes me great anxiety still to think I've done something wrong. Um, Because that I grew up with there being no real error for wrong. Um, And no space to explain myself, but just punishment given. Um, So even when I'm fairly certain I haven't done something wrong, I have historically gone to great lengths to take whatever action I can to alleviate that tension. So, I think where responsible disclaimer, including trigger warnings, differentiates from disclaiming myself is when I find myself stepping outside of this posture of integrity into self-doubt, into backpedaling, into self-judgment, self-dismissal, and really fear. When I'm trying to over-explain myself, it is out of fear. When I try with words to prevent others from judging or dismissing me, and ironically, end up doing that all on my own, that too is out of fear. And when I take it upon myself to qualify myself to others, I am in fact dismissing myself. I am calling attention to the very things I fear will be judged. I am not actually standing in my integrity. Instead, I'm giving it away. 
So where I see this intersecting very clearly with my coming out story, and certainly this has appeared in other parts of my story before that, but in my, in this queer journey I've been on for the last, you know, not quite a year is, is when I realized that telling my mom who I am and inviting her to know me more fully, that that was going to be received as a wrong. And if I went to great lengths to make amends to that perceived wrong, I would be really colluding with her in this belief that being who I am is wrong, that it was something that's up for debate, that someone else could be given the authority to define this sacred and precious thing about me, for me. But if I didn't go to that great length, and instead I chose to lay a clear and firm boundary of love, and I was probably going to lose her. And I was going to have to live within this tension of holding a boundary that someone I love perceives probably as harsh and judgmental and unloving. <laughs> and, you know, if you've listened to the early parts of my, st- of my podcast to, to that, you know, unfolding story in the beginning, you know that, that I chose this path of, of living in that tension and it has not been easy. As I am working this out in my whole being, I'm feeling the strain of it manifest regularly in my dreams. It's like my brain is working through this whole new way of being and holding myself and composting the old as I sleep, which is really annoying to be honest. I mean, I really appreciate that it's happening, that it's happening, but it's really also annoying to be like, man, do I not even get a break while I sleep? But thank you, brain, for doing that work. Um, it's, it's shown up in my body as anxiety, as nausea, as eye twitches, disrupted sleep, headaches, and quite possibly some uh, chronic pain that I've been dealing with. Now, that is not to say that these things are some acceptable or inevitable price that I have to pay for how I've chosen to walk this particular path. Um, It doesn't have to be that way. (laughs) But I feel like there are temporary ways that I'm witnessing my body and my mind working to integrate these changes that I'm going through, and it's messy. And then, you know, again with my story coming out into a community of marginalized people for the first time really in my life, a community with language that is rapidly evolving, where there is, from what I've experienced and can see this polarization um, within the community itself on what is considered, you know, kind of best practice and correct terminology in certain areas Um, and with this a tendency towards 
I think, gatekeeping and extreme policing as a way of trying to be protective. Um, but it's like this reactive extreme response that, um, you know, unfortunately, I think just ends up doing more harm. And so I've had a lot of trepidation about claiming myself too loudly or clearly within this community because what if I'm getting it wrong? <laughs> and newsflash, of course I am getting it wrong in some ways. It, it's just going to happen. It's already happened and it will happen because it's part of the learning process for any of us. But that taps into this very deep fear of being wrong and causing harm. Um, that something here that I do, even out of like a place of like really respectful engagement is going to get me canceled or excommunicated or labeled in ways that are going to be hard for me to bounce back from. That's where I want to just add this little side rant on how I just really hope to see as we shift away from policing, because we will, I think, um, I think it's a growing pain, um, but I, I really hope to see us create safety in our communities in this community for people who are making a respectful effort to learn and grow that there can be safety within that to kind of quote quote get things wrong or just to not know because how can we know until we have experience with something I mean a lot of our learning is in relationship with each other. It's not like we're going to read up on all this stuff and know everything prior to stepping into these spaces. And we're going to brush up against each other and we're going to say the wrong things sometime. And can we have safety in that to make mistakes without getting clobbered? Can we receive clear and compassionate feedback, make repairs if necessary, and still be welcomed in the community. Like, I realize that's a tall ask, but I feel like, God, I would love to see that because I'm just really tired of seeing people get clobbered <laughs> um, who are coming at it from a place of genuine, respectful curiosity and desire to grow and do better and be better. And can we help I mean, it's not our job to do the work for people, but can we at least not beat people down as they're trying to do that work? <laughs> so, okay, and rant. Um, so I've also been on the receiving end of some of that, you know, um, in my six months of being out. And some of those experiences have shut me down so much that I just with withdrew from most, you know, online queer community. I stopped dating um it just sent me spinning out in doubt over my identity and and my character and even my just ability to trust myself 
And so I found myself adding more disclaimers in my way of being in relationship with other queer folks and just really walking in fear around um, just what if I'm found out as being something offensive, if I'm doing something offensive, you know, just paralyzed with that, um, which is, was just really jarring and, and honestly triggering within um, a community that I so deeply long to experience belonging in. Um, so, um, learning, I think learning to claim ourselves, learning to claim myself instead of disclaim myself is an inside job to be sure. Um, at least it starts there, but I, I also think that people can, can be a very important part of this dismantling and rewiring and healing process as scary and vulnerable as that is inevitably going to be to um, put ourselves out there in process. But, but I think that experiencing other people mirror for us, hey, you're actually okay, <laughs> has helped me learn to anchor more solidly in myself. It's like, it's like if, if a, a little child touches something hot, out of the oven and, and starts to scream and they like are searching for their parents' face and they see pain mirrored on that face. It reflects back to them, yeah, that is an appropriate response to getting burned. But if they were to see like anger or a smile, that would obviously mess with their heads, right? <laughs> so I, I think can be similar even as adults navigating these like new spaces we can benefit from some mirroring and I I certainly need less of this mirroring in the queer community than I did even two months ago but I still really appreciate the reinforcement and I, I really have a few tender compassionate God, emotionally mature souls to thank in my life for helping me climb out of the paralysis that I was finding myself in and begin repairing trust with myself and, and kind of claiming back myself as my, as an authority. <laughs> like, you know, I have a friend that I made on the very first queer app that I, I joined, um, who has just been so accepting and validating as I've shared some of my experiences and you know my dear friend Megan who I've had on the podcast who has also been a long time you know member of this community um has really mirrored for me um, that I'm okay um and you know and then my my joy friend <laughs> boyfriend uh, Camille has been like so instrumental in showing me safety in in bringing all of me bringing my parts in process and my fears and my um, my questions and my honesty 
and to name those and let them be known and to like learn not to brace myself for attack or judgment or rejection but to like kind of calm my nervous system (laughs) and receive acceptance in that vulnerability has been really healing for me and I think that that has laid a lot of groundwork for me to step into an even bigger space of claiming myself in another part of my identity which I will get to next So it's, it's been from this place of doing a lot of my own work around claiming my identity, apart from the validation or judgment of others, and from really experiencing safety in a few key relationships where I can bring all of me and my process it's in within that that I've recently found myself really anchoring and expanding in this acceptance of myself, how I'm shifting and learning to really acknowledge the validity of this on my own. So yesterday morning, I'm working on this just repetitive mundane task and I find myself drifting off in thought. I don't even really know what I was thinking of. But out of the blue, it seemed, I heard my inner voice say, I think I'm (laughs) non-binary. Now, that may seem very anticlimactic. Like, yeah, and? (laughs) What's the big deal? But it felt entirely new to me like clear as a bell this is a question I've entertained with openness and curiosity for months now Um, I've been drawn to hear non-binary stories I've been drawn to non-binary people and I've dated non-binary people but I've held this at arm's length for myself, making a pretty conscious effort not to identify as non-binary, but rather gender questioning. Um, because I just haven't, I haven't known, right? And I, I have this deep reverence around really naming things and claiming things unless, until I know it like really like a truth in my body, in my skin. and But there has also been this aspect of gatekeeping around this for me, from myself and also from a few others. I mean, it started, you know, really when I first came out, um, but certainly, you know, not that long ago, I had told one of the people I dated that I was questioning my gender identity 
And their response was, that doesn't sound like an identity issue. That's just playing with gender expression. They're two different things. But yeah, play with expression all you want. Have fun, you know, like it's just very patronizing. (laughs) There was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of pushback that I see against mansplaining. But this was the queer version of it. And man, the queer version of it certainly exists. (laughs) It's like, let me tell you what non-binary means as if I am an outsider. Um, so I, I really felt the shutdown with this response. And I also felt the judgment of, you know, between the lines, you don't fit the type of non-binary. You don't have the right narrative. You don't have the right look. This isn't for you. So stay in your lane, kind of. Um, This same person had made a a statement several times before about, you know, kind of my level of queerness to the effect of me not being as queer as other people or being too het. (laughs) So their flippant remark landed more sharply than someone else's might have. Um, But what I've absorbed and turned into my own gatekeeping is what I've observed in really the sliver of population I've been exposed to when it comes to like an external non-binary expression. Um, That, I mean, non-binary, any identity is really about, it's an inner reality, okay? But we can't deny that that inner reality also has a lot of outward expression. It can, not, and it looks really different for every person. But what I was noticing in outward non-binary expressions was that while there is no non-binary look, um, that, 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 that is obviously beside the point, especially with non-binary. Um, it's like, fuck that breaking out of all those norms. Um, still, I I can't help but have noticed this trend in the people that I've seen that there was a lot of people born with male bodies expressing more of a feminine side in their non-binary um, identity and those born with female bodies expressing themselves in a more distinctly gender neutral or masculine way. And I certainly know non-binary people for whom this is not true. And there's absolutely, I mean, it's not about there being, again, a right or wrong way. It's just that that is what I saw. Was that it still kind of felt like it was kind of on the binary. Um, And I saw enough of that to internalize this untruth about being non-binary. And it's this. I just realized this, like, yesterday, (laughs) that I thought, I thought if claiming non-binary would cost me my feminine expression, I was like, really had to sit with that. I thought, at the very least, I would have to feel myself, I would have to feel like I was most myself in a state of neutrality 
But as I've slowly been allowing space to play with like the feminine parts of me, feminine expression, I've found it again in a fresh way and it's felt good. It's felt empowering and validating. I mean, I do like wearing dresses, for example, and I, I, I like lacy things underneath my clothes, but I equally like working in bibs and a tank top, getting dirty and just really feeling into my strength. And those are very, again, like superficial examples, but like in my head, I was just really living on this, I was really kind of just stuck on this superficial level of of what does non-binary look like and do I fit that but beyond the outward expression of it I also felt like these pangs of imposter syndrome that that were very similar to while I was questioning whether or not I was queer I mean at that time I thought maybe maybe I just wished I was queer and somehow like afraid that in my wishful thinking, I was manipulating myself into this identity that wasn't true of me. I just like made myself queer by wishing it into existence. <laughs> like that was my genuine thought. <laughs> um, and so I thought the same thing about non-binary. Like I can't think about this too much because some part of me wishes that I were. Like I really desired to be non-binary, but like that almost canceled it out for me because I'm like if I wish for that that means I'm probably not that and I (laughs) just really messed up um and therefore I might just like yeah create this identity for myself that isn't true (laughs) I don't know um so dealing with that (laughs) but similarly I was also aware that my story didn't match the narrative that I was most familiar with, like talking about when I came out as queer was, you know, this narrative that where, you know, someone all knows that they were gay or queer for a very, very long time, but just didn't feel safe or comfortable coming out with it until many years later. Um, so it's been easy for me to look at other people's stories and dismiss my own. I mean, I haven't known that I was neither a girl or a boy for a very long time. I haven't experienced misgendering unless you count the mild discomfort I've had in past months when men in particular call me a beautiful woman. (laughs) Like that doesn't, first of all, isn't welcome, but also just doesn't fit me. The realization that it's just assumed that I am a cisgender woman when that was quietly in question. And I haven't had a strong urge yet to change my given first name. I haven't desired top surgery or felt my body doesn't actually match how I experience my gender identity. Um, I haven't wanted to let go of she as a way of knowing myself, even as they is feeling more like home to me. So I've taken all this information and used it as a way to tell myself I can't be non-binary. Because maybe I maybe I'm 
I'm just non-binary leaning at best, but to fully commit to non-binary? No, no way. (laughs) That can't be accurate. So when the thought dropped into my head yesterday, as these things tend to do for me, like when I first entertained this question of my sexual orientation, it dropped in as a thought from out of the fucking blue. Um, I, I learned yesterday from my best friend, after the fact, this fascinating bit of astrology that was in my chart. So, you know, for my little queerdos who are into astrology, probably know a lot more than I do. Um, if this means anything to you, my moon had gone conjunct with my sun at some point yesterday, which if, if you're like me and you are still grappling with terminology like that, it essentially means they were sitting on top of each other in my chart, which means it's just a lot of fucking light was illuminating for me yesterday energetically like literally making parts of me more visible. And that is what it's felt like for me. It felt yesterday like this bright light turned on in a room of my home, this room that had been previously kind of boarded up, mostly uninhabited. The doors kept closed, the curtains pulled. And it's like I pried the door open, came in, pushed back the curtains, opened the window, let the sun and fresh air spill inside and declared this room open. Like this room of my home, my identity is no longer closed up. I have an additional room now to live in and occupy and and integrate in my home. So, So last night, my best friend and I We have these weekly Zoom dates where, which we also incorporate around the moon phase of the week, you know, and include some sort of ritual together. Um, Last night, we did this beautiful, extensive ritual together to honor this new moon in Aries that's happening today. And Aries, by the way, is really all about being ourselves in the world. (laughs) Um, So as I read through the ritual... I found myself laughing because part of the script of it involved naming a part of us that is coming out, that that is becoming, and who we're welcoming in, in this phase. I am welcoming non-binary. I told her. And just like hearing myself say that, I, I felt felt the authority of that. I'm no longer disclaiming this part of me. I'm no longer shutting it down. I'm no longer gatekeeping myself or allowing others to gatekeep my identity or experience. I am unapologetically claiming myself here and in whatever spaces I want to and whatever ways feel good for me as non-binary. I do not need to look to anyone else to tell me or model for me what non-binary looks like. For my own purposes, non-binary looks like me. It looks like me. 
looks like my story, however that unfolds, whatever expression that takes, period. So, <laughs> I, I think that it's not important that I wrap this up in a pretty bow and tell anybody, here's the takeaway from this episode. <laughs> I just hope that for anyone else who has noticed or um, is now noticing ways that, that you've disclaimed yourself, that that could be something to be getting curious about and really kind of like leaning into that, asking questions around that and maybe finding ways that you can come into places of, of claiming whatever parts of you still need to be claimed and are waiting to be claimed. So that's it. That's what I've got today. Thank you so much for being here. Um, it means so much to me to know that any sharing of my story um, is not only received but is landing with people in ways that feel very resonant with your own journey in some capacity. Um, it's why I put these stories out there, as I think that it's just so important to know that there are stories that we can recognize ourselves in in the world. And we know that those stories exist, like that we're not alone, but until we hear it, until we see it made visible or hear it made audible, it can feel like you're fucking alone. And I just, I want, I know that there are parts of my story that land as a recognition of people seeing themselves. And that is my that's gold to me. So thank you for those who have let me know um, that that has been at, at moments that the case for you as you've listened. And please feel free to reach out to me at any time to be continued podcast or kiss the earth Amber on Instagram and uh, be well. Mm-hmm.